What's up, everyone? Welcome back to The Planet today. Today is Friday, January 28th, 2022. I am your host, Matt Norton, here once again with our producer and co-host, Nick Janusa. Nikki, how's it going, buddy? Maddie, I am doing really well over here, and the Northeast is slated to get a huge snowstorm. Yeah, we uh, we made some jokes last episode or the episode before that it's cold. It's still cold. <laughs> <laughs> and we are joined for the first time in 2022 by co-host Giselle Herrera. Giselle, welcome back. Hello, Matt. Hello, Nick. This is great to be here, back at it again, and... Let's get let's get this going. Good to have you back. Yeah, awesome to have all three of us back in the booth. So I found out recently that Apple doesn't change the episode artwork that we post the way that Spotify does. So Apple listeners, just want to let you know, you are missing out on some awesome episode art featuring the three of us. So I'll show that on our Instagram. Check out our stories. Follow us at Planet Today Pod. You know the drill. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the planet today. Here on TPT, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way Monday and Friday. This show is your one-stop shop for all things environmental, whether you're just diving into a green lifestyle or you're ready for some more involved conversations about what can be some complex topics. TPT has a little bit for everyone, so we're happy to have you as a listener. And like we say every week, Go rate the show, five stars on Apple, five stars on Spotify, wherever you're listening, give us that rating. Wherever you're not listening, give us that rating. (laughs) (laughs) And also write a review on Apple Podcasts too, don't forget. Yeah, and hey, before we get into our quick hits, some of you might have heard of a potential change in California's solar law or solar incentives this week. The proposal is basically gonna make it harder for the state to reach its goal of 100% renewable energy by 2045. But environmental groups are currently fighting this, so we're not going to cover it yet just because nothing's official. We will definitely talk about that once there are some concrete actual changes in the works. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's get into our quick hits. So the first one is by Marco Lambertini, Gim Huai Neo, and Elizabeth Mrema of CNN. And it's titled, Why Protecting the Planet is Essential to Preventing Future Pandemics. Yeah, so just a heads up, this is an opinion piece, but the opinion they give is how businesses and governments can take steps to reduce the risk of future pandemics. So we'll talk about it briefly, but mostly the focus here is going to be on the science of biodiversity and how that impacts pandemics. So the article starts off by mentioning how our relationship between society and the natural world is a bit broken, and that makes us vulnerable to pandemics. So talking about that, let's take a step back and talk about zoonotic diseases. They're diseases that are transferred from animals to humans and things that can hardly impact one species as a carrier can eventually be deadly for others or for humans. It's usually kind of a life cycle, if you will, of the disease. Yeah. And they can come from direct contact with the animal, like being bit by a tick or coming into contact with where the animal lives like how people can sometimes get the bird flu cleaning chicken coops. Yeah, so COVID-19 is one of these zoonotic diseases. 
and zoonotic diseases have potential to become more popular for two reasons, habitat loss and wildlife trade. Trade's kind of that obvious one since you're directly handling the animals and a lot of times it's the handling of illegal animals, but with habitat loss, we're more likely to come in contact with animals. And that means certain diseases are more likely to jump from animals to humans. And the thing I always think of with this is that famous picture of a coyote that's on the subway. I don't know if you two have seen that one. I love that picture because I used to study coyotes as an undergrad researcher, and that is the perfect picture to show that, you know, we're encroaching on wildlife habitats and they're they're coming back. They're kind of sticking their claim sometimes. And um, to your point also about how we get zoonotic diseases, Matt, also we have to think about uh, kind of tied to like wildlife trade is um, these different types of meats that usually people who don't um, have the means to eat, I guess, more, quote, traditional meats, like they have to go to these more exotic meats that end up having those diseases and, you know, the rest is history. So, but yes, love that coyote picture. <laughs> yeah, it's a classic. <laughs> so I think what's more important to think of is how habitat loss for something like bats means we're going to be more likely to come in contact with bats. And bats carry a bunch of diseases that don't have any impact on them, but can prove to be deadly for humans. Yeah, many zoonotic diseases survive and spread easier in warmer, wetter climates. That's important to yeah. know. Yeah, and with much of the world becoming warmer and wetter due to climate change, that is uh, problematic, to say the least. Biodiversity loss is another one that's making things worse because the natural world is able to regulate itself within ecosystems generally, and each species is going to play a role there in maintaining fresh water, healthy vegetation, or a stable climate. So each individual species that becomes less abundant starts to create this domino effect throughout the ecosystem and throughout the greater natural world. Yeah, and the authors mentioned that the World Economic Forum's annual global risks report said world leaders rank biodiversity loss as one of the most severe risks facing humanity of this decade along with climate action failure and extreme weather events. Yeah, and the good news is that more businesses are calling for action to protect and restore nature because, let's face it, a lot of industries that account for over half of the world's GDP rely on nature. The bad news, on the other hand, is that awareness of the risks hasn't really turned into action that would lessen that risk of future pandemics. So the COVID-19 recovery plans focus on society, but they don't really account for the environmental side of things that contribute to pandemics. So the authors suggest committing to financial support to protect ecosystems, setting science-based targets to help reverse biodiversity loss, making sure a business's supply chain doesn't contribute to further deforestation. And finally, governments treating protecting biodiversity as fundamental to meet the Paris climate goals and reducing pandemic risk. I mean, it's great that this is kind of a multifaceted approach to trying to lessen pandemics in the future, less the, lessen the spread of zoonotic diseases by also thinking about, you know, protecting biodiversity and, uh, the impact climate change has on all of this. So it's really cool to see that kind of like one, two punch with all of this in mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we've had no shortage this year of, or last year, I guess, of climate action failure and extreme weather events. So, you know, hopefully we can do some stuff to change it. Yeah. All right. The next one up is by Arius Aditya from Bloomberg News, and it's titled Indonesia sets 2024 deadline to move its new capital to Borneo. 
Yeah, I picked this article after finding it while scrolling on Twitter and found it so fascinating that nowadays countries are making these massive complex decisions to move, pick up and move their cities in light of impending climate change. So Indonesia is moving ahead with a plan to relocate its capital of Jakarta, which is currently located on the Javan Islands, south of Malaysia and north of Australia, to kind of put in perspective. And the proposal, which has been at a standstill for months now because of the pandemic, has Jakarta and its population of about 10 million people moving to the island of Borneo in the first half of 2024. It's kind of wild to just think of hey, you need to move in two years because we're going to be moving the entire capital. And look, I don't think this is going to be unique moving forward. There's a lot of coastal capitals and a lot of it has to do with history of like ports being very important to trade. They're still really important to trade, but livable land is kind of inarguably more important. <laughs> I'm sure the people there cannot be too stoked that they're going to have to basically pack up their entire lives and just move to a completely different place. Yeah. I, I guess the alternative though, is you stay and probably go underwater relatively soon. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough situation all around. Tough situation. A lot of conflicting things that people have to consider. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine. Yeah. And, and that really puts it in perspective two years, you know, and all of this stuff is, is happening. So in this proposed bill, it's written that the president with approval from parliament gets to decide who will govern the capital, which will essentially scrap the requirement for an election that has been historically plagued with really intense political battles. So President Wododo mentioned that the relocation will help spread economic activities outside of the most populous island of Java and narrow its income gap with the rest of the country. However, this proposed move has also sparked environmental concern over deforestation. Borneo is actually the third largest island containing some of the world's most ancient rainforests, which are also crucial to endemic species and maintaining biodiversity. Yeah, let's unpack that one real quick for the listeners back home. Endemic means that they're only located in that one area. So a really popular place you can think of with a lot of endemic species is going to be Madagascar. If you've seen a lemur anywhere else, it's probably a zoo, if not some person just having a pet lemur, which is, uh, checks notes, very illegal. <laughs> so yeah, they are endemic to Madagascar. <laughs> and Borneo is also home to many endangered species like the orangutan and clouded leopard, which has lost much of its natural habitat to the paper and pulp industry and palm oil plantations. Yeah, but what really sparked my interest in this whole story is the role climate change, of course, is playing in the decision of moving Jakarta, the capital of Indonesia, to Borneo. President Widodo deems the move necessary as the current capital is suffering from traffic gridlock, frequent flooding, and its pollution reaching unhealthy levels. So Jakarta is, is also sinking fast. So that's the, the climate change component with two-fifths of the area falling below sea level, and some parts are submerging at a rate of 20 centimeters a year. For us in the U.S., that's about eight inches for those of us using non-metric. That's a lot. Um, that's a lot. <laughs> that's yeah, like eight inches of water in a year. Every year. Um, <laughs> so think about it. In two years, yeah, that's like- A foot and a half almost, math, right? Yeah. Oh my God. 
This isn't the first time a decision like this has been made to move cities, granted for reasons other than rising sea levels. Indonesia, which has contemplated this idea for decades, would be actually the third country in Southeast Asia to relocate their capital cities. Malaysia did that back in 2003, Myanmar back in 2006. So it'll be really interesting to see, though, in the near future, how countries that are susceptible to climate change and rising sea levels handle these types of decisions uh, in light of climate change. And do they move their city? Do they stay put? Do they move cities back? I mean, this is the conversations that are happening. These are the conversations that are happening in Miami, where in the next 20 years, like, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. And it's really unfortunate that you know, a lot of the cities that are going to be faced with these sort of decisions are very densely populated because like we mentioned before, people tended to settle on the coasts or settle near ports. That way it was closer for trade and better for industry. And as we've advanced in society and stopped relying so much on ports to do all of our trade, those cities have continued to grow and people have continued to move there. So yeah, it's not like we're talking about small areas and a small amount of people being impacted. 100%. 100%. The good news is one person in Miami who will be <laughs> fine is Pitbull because he's Mr. Worldwide and can go wherever <laughs> he'd like. I take credit for that. Uh, <laughs> Matt, <laughs> you better uh, give me some royalties on that uh, on that zinger because... Yeah, Giselle and I were talking before the show about that one, but I wasn't sure if you were going to no, say no, no. it. I'm you glad you seemed did. ready to move I'm on. Yeah, we needed that. <laughs> Stolen valor. Yeah, I wouldn't have been able to keep a straight face saying it, so no, that's fine. It's an that's audio fine. podcast. You don't have to keep a straight face. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> All right, Nick, take us into the next one. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Um, and this is from Damien Carrington, and he writes, Chemical pollution has passed safe limit for humanity says scientists in The Guardian. So this one, just like our first story, talks about how human society depends on global ecosystems. And unfortunately for many ecosystems, they are being threatened by human society. So our reliance on plastics and chemicals has turned out to be not good. Plastic pollution has gotten so bad that it's been found on the summit of Mount Everest and the deepest parts of our oceans. If you listen to Monday's episode with Ryan, you understand the good in plastics, but also why they are so widely used and why they are so bad for the environment. The total mass of plastics on Earth is now higher than the total mass of all living mammals. Just think about how much one elephant weighs and then try to rack your brain around that one. That's insane. Yeah. It's, it's a lot, a lot, a lot of plastic. And think about, like, there have been whole, like, fields of study that are, like, focused on the impacts plastic have on the environment, like microplastics. So yeah. all those little itty bits and how much, like, mass that is, how much weight that is, incredible. Yeah, even, like, in, like, laundry loads. Like, I remember we talked about that, I think, on one of the other episodes, but the microplastics that are produced in just doing like one load of laundry is insane. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the main part of this story that we wanted to focus on was chemical pollution. And this study that the article is based on found that chemical pollution has reached a point where human caused changes to the planet have made the global environment the most unstable it's been in 10,000 years. The study found that the production of chemicals has increased by 50 times its 1950 levels and is projected to triple again by 2050. 
Chemical pollution threatens Earth's systems by damaging the biological and physical processes that support life on this planet. Yeah, the example that they give here is how pesticides will wipe out a lot of non-target insects, which throws off the entire ecosystem, which then is going to throw off the clean air and clean water and the food within that ecosystem. So with that, it's time for a new segment. Nick, hit the music. It's the today. Don't use pesticides or fertilizer on your lawn. They are bad for the ecosystem. And that was the TPT Soapbox. The article mentions that there are calls for international action on chemicals and plastics, like creating a global scientific body for chemical pollution that's kind of similar to the IPCC. Yeah, which is a good start. And I hope that they can do that and something comes of it. But my concern here is that you know, it took global leaders this long to start listening to the panel on climate change. So how long is it going to take global leaders to listen to a new panel that's focused on chemical and plastic pollution? I, I don't know. But the article closes by adding that the chemical pollution boundary is the fifth of nine that scientists say have already been crossed. The other four are global heating, the destruction of wild habitats, loss of biodiversity, and excessive nitrogen and phosphorus pollution. I think I think we're just on a path to to reaching all nine of those at some, at some point if we don't actually take some action. So, yep. yeah, and I think you're right. I just have a lot of faith in the global scientific community, and um, maybe too much faith in leaders actually starting to pay attention. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, there's nothing to say that with this boundary or the other four out of the nine that have been crossed. There's nothing to say we can't go back. So I'm hopeful yeah. that, you know, the right policy decisions, the right scientific advancements will make the difference that's needed here. Definitely. All right. We are going to take a quick break, everyone. Stay tuned. Keep the dial right where it is. Today is brought to you by Vala Alta. Vala Alta's everyday handkerchief is a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT. Welcome back to the planet today, folks. And our next quick hit is from Open Access News, and it's titled, Scientists Find There Are 70% Fewer Pollinators Due to Air Pollution. Back-to-back pollution stories for the people. Uh, Pollinators help out our local ecosystems by pollinating food crops, native wildflowers, and other local plant species. And with this, we're talking about bees, butterflies, hummingbirds, etc., 
So a team of researchers wanted to understand how air pollution is impacting pollinating insect species, and they found that there are up to 70% fewer pollinators today, thanks to research in both urban and rural environments. They also found that there were up to 90% less flower visits and an overall 31% pollination reduction in test plants when there were pollutants present. The pollutants included diesel exhaust and ozone, which basically make it harder for the insects to smell the crops and wildflowers that rely on pollinators to grow. The researchers think this is because pollutants react with and change the smell of the flowers, which is going to make it harder for those insects to find them. And pollution could also continue to cause a decline in pollinating insect populations, which is going to make it even harder for them to locate their food. Yeah, and the study used pollution concentrations below maximum average levels. So they were between 40 and 50% lower than what's considered safe by the U.S. environmental law. And those regulations get broken sometimes. They also found a 14 to 31% reduction in pollination. And since 70% of crop species depend on pollination, it's so crucial to think about the impact pollution is having on the production of our crops, you know, all of our A lot of our fruits, vegetables that are shipped all over the United States depend on these pollinators. Um, And I think what's interesting is because we don't see it happening, um, maybe there's some there's definitely some sort of disconnect happening here. Yeah. I think another issue with this is that it's another case of bad branding. Like you talk to anyone who was on the Internet two years ago and they could tell you bees are dying at an alarming rate. Yeah. But it was just spammed so much that it almost became a meme and was like, yeah. oh, haha, yeah, bees are dying at an alarming rate. They sure are. But like they actually are. And it is alarming. And, you know, Giselle, you brought up fruits and vegetables here. Pollination supports roughly 8% of the world's agricultural food production. So this is a huge threat to food security and the economy as a whole. Like last week, Nick and I were talking about how many nations are impacted by food security already. Mm-hmm. And with climate change, they're going to become more and more food insecure. Here's a direct reason why they're going to become more and more food insecure. Yeah. And it not only affects that, it affects your own wallet. Like if, if you're thinking like extremely selfishly and base level, it's going to affect your wallet. Like when you go to the grocery store, it's going to be more expensive to pay for the stuff that you expect um, yep. and all that stuff. Bees make honey. People forget. Yep. Yeah. People do forget that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget beetles are like wasps, all these insects that play such a big role. And why not focus on protecting these animals and organisms that are doing this like naturally and as opposed to just seeing all this decline and uh, trying to figure out a way to kind of move on without them kind of makes you scratch your head a bit. Yeah. And last thought I'm going to throw in here. If I can forgive wasps for in second (laughs) grade, I was playing on my (laughs) basketball hoop out in my driveway. I don't remember if I made the shot, but you know, revisionist (laughs) history. I sunk a three pointer probably. It was really, it was a really deep (laughs) shot. I bet there was a, a wasp's nest in the hoop that I didn't know about until a wasp got me right in the temple it hurt, and I still want to protect them. I still want them around. So if I can <laughs> forgive wasps, you can help protect them. Yeah, I, and real quick, I just want to I want to piggyback off of that. No, I'm <laughs> um, that happened to all three of us. <laughs> <laughs> Nick was there. I did not make the shot. <laughs> and it was a layup. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. 
So let's get on to our last story, and it is by Annie Roth of the New York Times. And she writes, Love Triangle Challenges Reign of Japan's Monkey Queen. What the heck? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> bit of a lighthearted news story here, uh, following the back-to-back pollution stories. Uh, and you know we love animals on the planet today. This news story highlights a female Japanese macaque in Takasaki-yama Natural Zoological Garden in Japan, and she violently overthrows the alpha male in her troop to become its first female leader in the reserve's 70-year history. Yes, queen. Oh my god. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> And this macaque in particular named Yakai presides over a troop of 677 monkeys and is currently being observed by scientists and reserve staff to see how long she can maintain her reign. I love this. I I think that this monkey, Yakai, is awesome. She's smashing the patriarchy. And, you know, if, if their societal ranks are anything like ours, it's been men in power for a long, long time. And sometimes to make things better, you got to shake up the system. And I like to see her doing this here. (laughs) How about 677 people beneath you? That's so true. That is unbelievable. Is this a monkey army? Is she she a general here? (laughs) She's holding it down. So to your point, Matt, while many animals um, live in matriarchal societies, so being led by females like bees hyenas and elephants, it's rare for primates or apes, our, our close relatives, to be female-led. So mainly it's, it's male-led. And that's why this story is so fascinating. In Japanese macaque society, uh, monkeys' rank in the hierarchy is tied to food access, mate choice, and even resting locations. However, rank is sometimes gained through acts of violence. In these troops that are primarily dominated by males, Below them are mothers, and then below mothers are the remaining females of the troop. The start of Yakai's soap opera drama here began when she beat up her own mother to claim the top spot among females in her troop. Then she beat out three high-ranking males, as well as the alpha male who had led the troop for five years and eventually claimed the top spot as alpha female. This is the direct uh, inspiration for Cersei Lannister in George R. R. Martin's a, a Song of Ice and Fire or whatever. I haven't read the book, I know. <laughs> I was going to say Game of Thrones. That's the first book. Matt, you illiterate jerk. Anyway, yeah. She is uh, overthrowing whoever is in power to claim her rightful throne. She beat up her own mom. Yeah. That was the first one. Like that Who was- cares? She's... That's she what will, started She will it. kill and do anything. Where is the Pixar movie about this? Oh my God, imagine. <laughs> it, that would be like rated R, maybe. Like, I don't know. How, I, I'd see it. I'd, I'd love to see it. And what's really cool is that the reserve workers tested Yakai's status by performing something called a peanut test, where they gave the monkeys of the troop peanuts and saw who ate first. Males and females following this peanut test let Yakai eat eat first, confirming that she was alpha, that she was alpha status. She's also walking the walk and shows behaviors usually only seen in dominant males, like walking with her tail up and shaking tree branches super aggressively. But once mating season rolls around from November to March, things start to get tricky. These polygamous primates form tight pair bonds for a few weeks that then dissolve. 
This repeats multiple times during those months, resulting in females mating with four males on average in a breeding season. This is exactly what's happening with Yakai, who is in a triangle with two other high-ranking males in the troop, one of which is pushing her away to monopolize food. And interesting behavior towards the leader of a, of a troop. Do you think he wants to become the new leader? Is he trying to usurp her? He just wants an extra little snack. I don't know why he's he's trying this with Yakai because she 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 beat up her mom. She will she will cut him. <laughs> she earned her her top, her top spot. While she currently still holds the alpha status of the troop, that status and for how long she'll hold it is unclear. But researchers and me too honestly are interested to see how the troop progresses under the leadership of a female like Yakai. If we could leave you with anything from this story, it's be more like Yakai. Start this weekend, start this month, take what's yours and overthrow the systems that are in place that are unfair to the rightful leaders of the monkey throne like you. Just be an alpha motherfucker <laughs> and you, you know, you might turn around and, and have 667 people beneath you. You don't know. Just don't do anything to your mom Everyone else is No, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree. Mom, if you're listening to this, I love you, but look, I gotta take what's mine. Keep one eye open, mom. <laughs> Just kidding, mom. I am seeing her this weekend, so I hope that she is uh not nervous now. <laughs> All right, I think that's a pretty good place to stop for this episode of TPT. And we will be back on Monday to talk about 2021. We'll be breaking down how hot it really was greenhouse gas emissions in the United States and the state of global ocean warming and what that means for climate change. In the meantime, you know the drill. Sharing our stuff with friends and on our social media pages helps a lot. If you have any questions, comments, story recommendations, potential guests, send those our way. You could do that through email. You could do that on our socials. If you like the show, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We would also love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. The Planet Today is written and hosted by me, Matt Norden. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Norden. We are co-hosted and produced by the incredibly talented Nick Janusa, who also does the music for every single show. Nick, where can our listeners hear more from you? You can hear more from me at soundcloud.com slash Cape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out. We were also joined today by co-host Giselle Herrera, who helped write this episode. Giselle, where can people keep up with you? Feel free to follow me on Twitter at G-I-S-E-L-L-E-A-H-E-R-R-E-R-A. -E 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 <laughs> and don't forget to check me out on LinkedIn by just searching my name. Yeah. <laughs> Our LinkedIn correspondent is back. Dominating the LinkedIn game. <laughs> Let's go. You can keep up with the entire TPT team on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Planet Today Pod or email us at planettodaypod at gmail.com. Make sure to follow our socials for an exclusive quick hit every week that we're not talking about on the podcast. If you follow us, you know that it dropped Thursday of this week. Our logo was made by Kaylee Veets. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here on Monday. Peace. Peace.